is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Let's just try that again. Morning. Okay, that is better. Thank you. Um, If you would like to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 96, and um, just keep it open because we're going to come back to it. We're going to we're probably going to visit a few different places in the Bible today, but we'll keep coming back to Psalm 96. um, So you can leave yours open there. Um, I've been asked to speak about one of the phrases in this psalm. Um, And just to give you advanced warning, so you recognize it when we reach it, it is about worshipping the Lord in the splendor of holiness. It's a phrase, uh, I wasn't asked to speak on this psalm, it's it's the phrase that John had in mind, um, because like most prophetic people I know, I think there are times when John is absolutely bonkers. Uh, He he said, I'd like you to speak on this phrase. I said, I love you prophetic guys, I really do. (laughs) Where does that come from? But actually, when I've been... uh, when I've been thinking about it, I've got myself quite stirred up about this phrase, uh, not least because it's, it's, um, there's a little bit of controversy about it, and I quite like to delve into little bits of controversy every now and then, as my friends will know. So I'm reading from the ESV. Uh, that means that some of the words that I use will be slightly different from some of the words that are in your version if you haven't got the ESV. That's part of the fun. Uh, and I'm aware that you have different versions, because when we read from Romans 8 this morning, I was like, oh my word, I can't translate. Okay, Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering. Come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are such an amazing God. Great in power and might, God our healer. Father, we are so uh, honoured to be able to come and be in your presence and be accepted by you. Lord, we want to understand 
this phrase in particular in a new way this morning. We want to be changed by your word. Lord, we ask that your spirit would give us revelation this morning. Apply this to our everyday experience of you, Lord God. (laughs) We pray, Lord Jesus, be honored and glorified in all that comes through your word this morning. Amen. Okay. I've got two glasses of water. I'm not going to speak for that long, don't worry. So one of the things you will have noticed if you have uh, a new international version is that we have a slightly different nuance in the phrase that we're looking at. So Psalm 96 and verse 9 in the ESV, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. And in the New International Version, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Uh, Now, we can get a bit kind of anxious when different translations of the Bible say different things. Because sometimes you just want to drill it down and say, but I want to know exactly what it says. Um, But there are some translational challenges uh, when, when it comes to understanding the original language, which is not surprising. Because this was written about a thousand years before Jesus was born, so it's about 3,000 years old. It was written in Israel, so completely different society and culture and everything from us. And we've got to go back and understand, well, what does that mean? Now, that is challenging. I I don't speak any other languages. I'm I'm typical lazy uh, Brit. I only speak English. We've got, we've got a friend of pieces coming over to us in a couple of weeks from Holland. So she's 17, 18. She speaks five languages and she's learning Arabic because she thinks that'll be useful. More power to her. <laughs> wow. That's fine. To be honest, I struggle with English. So I've never had to translate to a foreign language, but I did move from Essex to Derbyshire. <laughs> and uh, that did have some challenges, I have to say. Uh, for my first few weeks at work, I would be sitting at my desk... Every day, my manager would get up and he'd say, do you want a cob? And no, thank you. No, thank you. I had no idea what he was talking about. Well, until I walked down the road and saw the cob shop, that the light began to shine. Okay. And then on holiday this year, this, I nearly wet myself when this happened. That, that might just be my age. On holiday this year, we were, we were dropping peace off at college and we were sitting around a breakfast table in a restaurant. So there's five of us around, the, around this breakfast table, big table, big breakfast. Next to us, there's a old, slightly older lady sitting waiting for her friend. And her friend uh, came in through the door and walked across towards her at the, in the restaurant. And she suddenly went, hi, honey, what's new in your zoo? Peace and I just looked at one another and dissolved into fits of giggles. And yet, we intuitively did something that you have just done as well, which is you've made sense of a sentence that makes no sense. Because you know what she meant, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. You know what she meant. Imagine trying to translate that into a foreign language. Now, I mean, I might be wrong. Maybe the lady on the table next to us did actually own a zoo. <laughs> and I'm making a right fool of myself, which nothing new there. But if you want to translate that, you've got to translate not the literal meaning of the word. You've got to kind of, well, this is what it really means. Okay? So we don't have to get too frightened about this when we come to the Bible. We read things like this. Oh, okay. So when we read the New International Version, 
the people who were translating that have added a word to help us understand what they think it means. We're, we're, don't yawn now, Graham. <laughs> One of the advantages of not having notes is I've got eye contact. The New International Version says, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. They want us to understand that we are coming and we are worshiping God in his holiness. And we're looking upon his beauty and his splendor. The ESV translators take a slightly different line because they leave the word out. So this is worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. And actually in the ESV, there's a little footnote. At the bottom of the page, it actually says, worship the Lord in holy attire. And woo. And if you read the New American Standard Bible, which my friend and mentor of 30 years uh, did when I first met him, and it's the translation that Terry Virgo has always used, they go a step further. They actually print, worship the Lord in holy attire. So we have two different meanings from this phrase. One is that we are looking at God's splendor and God's holiness. The other is that we come to worship him from a position of clothed in holiness clothed in splendor. Okay, now, we don't have to worry too much about this because they're both true. Okay, this is not an either-or situation. They are both true. We come to God and we worship His holiness. It is splendid. It is beautiful to us. Is that right? Okay, glad you're with me. So, when we talk about the beauty of the Lord or the splendor of the Lord, we're not talking about something physical because we haven't seen Him and we can't see Him. And anyone who has a vision of him in the Bible tends to just go straight down on their face because they can't see him for very long. What we're talking about is what God is like. We're talking about his character, his nature, the things he has done. They are beautiful. Yeah. So that's why reading the whole psalm is helpful because we want a little bit of context. What kinds of things has the psalmist said about God that make us think, yeah, he is He is amazing. Well, one of them is, he is totally unlike any other God. The gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. When you read Isaiah, Isaiah's uh, word for idols, if I've remembered this correctly, is actually no gods. Isaiah just refers to them as no gods. All the gods of the nations are no gods. They're not really gods at all. Jeremiah says they are scarecrows in a melon patch. I love that phrase. They are blind, mute, deaf, immobile. They can't see anything. They can't say anything. They can't hear anything. They can't do anything. But God made the heavens. How big a contrast can there be than that? Now, I love space. I love thinking about space. I'm not saying I love space as in I've been there. I'm, I haven't visited yet. I've flown now. I have flown now. My first flight was eight hours long. You know, if you get in an aeroplane and you fly around the biggest star that they have yet discovered in the universe, it takes 24,000 years. There's got to be a lot of free meals on that flight. And I love watching people like, um, oh, Professor Cox. What's his first name? Brian. Brian Cox. Yeah. Yeah, the wonders of the solar system and the wonders. I know he's a sun worshipper. I know that. He thinks all life comes from stars and, and all life will end when stars die. So he's basically a sun worshipper. But the information is amazing, isn't it? 
I see these pictures from the Hubble telescope of different galaxies and all that kind of stuff. And, and I go on the internet and I watch pictures from the International Space Station. You know, those films when it flies around the Earth at night and you can see all the cities. Like, and I think, wow, that's amazing. And God put every single star in place. He knows the name of every single one. He leads them out every night. He sustains them by the power of his word. If God stopped breathing, the universe would collapse. He made it. The no-gods don't have much of a CV when you compare it with that. And, and, we, and we find God beautiful because he's eternal. So, yeah, he was there at the beginning. He made everything. He rules and reigns now. And he is coming to judge the earth. God is, he was, he is, he is to come. He was there at the beginning in creation. He rules in glory now. He will come at the end of the age to judge the earth. He is eternal. That is beautiful in my eyes. The older I get, the more beautiful eternal life seems to be. (laughs) This is God. This is, this is beautiful. His character is beautiful. How is he going to judge the peoples? With justice and righteousness, with mercy and grace and forgiveness and in truth. These things are beautiful to us. They are part of the splendor of God's holiness. We delight in them. And when we come to God, that's what we put first, isn't it? How do you pray? How do we pray, Lord? You pray like this, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. That comes first. The holiness, the splendor, the beauty and majesty of God always comes first. It's about him. So, yeah, we delight in this. This is who we come before. This is who we worship. But, or and, it's not a but, is it? That's like a juxtaposition. It's an and. And, the psalmist says, we come in our holiness, if you like. We come in holy attire. Now, I suspect there's a passing reference there to the robes that the priests wore. But actually, they were always viewed as symbolic. So, give you an example of what I mean. Because again, we're not talking about our physical what we're physically wearing, thankfully. I grew up in a church where that was tremendously important. I grew up in a church where we stood up to sing hymns and sat down to sing choruses. Now we just sing songs and you can do what you like. And some of these people who stood for hymns and sat down for choruses got very offended when I turned up in jeans uh, and jogging bottoms and As I've said, I can be a little bit provocative, so I would remind them, it's man that looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. So these clothes, this is not about the label on your jacket. This is not about the the quality of your tats or how well your hair is styled. They're symbolic. Psalm 132 says this. Do you like the styling of my hair? I've spent years working on this. Psalm 132, verse 9 says, Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. And then God makes a promise in verse 16, Her priests I will clothe with salvation. So you get it? It's kind of picture. This our holy array 
is what God has clothed us in. It's salvation. It's righteousness. Isaiah chapter 61, which is a passage you will all know. It begins, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's appointed me to preach good news to the poor. It's the passage that Jesus reads from in the synagogue when he's handed the scroll. Isaiah goes on in verse 10 to say this. I will rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. We have been clothed with salvation and righteousness. And that idea, actually, it's just an image that the Bible uses, that it recurs right through the Bible. So when Jesus is talking to the disciples uh, after his resurrection, at the end of Luke's gospel, he tells them about the Holy Spirit. He speaks about the Holy Spirit and he says, but you stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. We have been clothed. We come in our holy array. We have been clothed in the power of the Holy Spirit. How great is that? And when Paul writes to the Romans, he tells them, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. No, we're clothed with the Lord Jesus Christ. When he writes to uh, the Colossians in chapter 3, he says this, Therefore, uh, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience do you get do you get this so when we come and we worship in holy array we're talking about the clothes the robes that god has put upon us the power of the spirit the person of jesus the character of god and actually it's all through the new testament you find these so it's suddenly things start dropping into place peter uh, writing to uh, Uh, wives of believers that are scattered around the world says to them that their beauty shouldn't come from outward adornment such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes instead it should be that of your inner self the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit that's our beauty actually paul paul starts writing to the ephesians about roman armor put on the full armor of god yeah the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of Christ. Dress yourself in the character and nature of God. And most beautifully, in my opinion. So we're going to read it because I've got the mic. Paul speaks about the church in Ephesians chapter 5. He's starting this with husbands. This is always immensely challenging. I wish we could miss the first bit of the verse out. How hard is this? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. If you're a husband, or you hope one day to be a husband, let these words sink into your heart. This this is how to treat your wife. Love her as Christ loves the church. Lay yourself down for her as he gave himself for the church, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot 
or a wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, if you've ever had the experience, as I had on the 21st of July 1990, of standing at the head of the aisle and watching your bride come towards you, you will know that brides are beautiful. Thank you, Tim. How many brownie points does that win you? (laughs) Make sure you play the recording of this talk over and over again at home. I'll tell you now, my bride took my breath away. She was stunning. I didn't look too bad myself. But she, she was stunning. And the difference in our preparation was massive. Seriously. My, my dad was my best man when we got, I was still a kid, really. My dad was my best man. Didn't have any other friends. <laughs> Our preparation consisted one Saturday afternoon of going into town. We went to three shops. We went to a tailor's, bought our suit, our shirt, our ties. Uh, we went to a shoe shop, bought our shoes. And we went to a jeweler's and bought some cufflinks and a tie pin. Two hours later, boom, we're back home. <laughs> Unfortunately, on the Monday... My mum had to take our shirts back because we didn't know what colour size we were and we bought the wrong shirts. (laughs) It's true, isn't it? Yeah. Seriously. Mel, on the other hand, had nearly two years of preparation. Uh, Mainly because we were kids and our parents didn't want us to get married too quick. So she had two years of magazines and going to different bridal shops and looking at different materials and different patterns and having fittings and arranging the flowers and the hairdresser and the maker, everything. It took, it took ages, but boy, was it worth it because on the day, she was stunning. This is the church. This is what Jesus is doing with the church. He is preparing her as a totally spotless, beautiful, splendid, holy bride, ready for the day. Now, imagine this. Imagine a bride having gone through all that preparation, got herself absolutely ready. The dress is on, the makeup's done, the hair's been styled, the flowers are in place, she's in the car on the way to the ceremony and suddenly thinks, Really fancy a can of Coke. Driver, stop the car. There's a news agent just there. Hold on. <laughs> can of cold Coke. Back to the car. Sit down in the car. What bride is ever going to do that? What bride is going to sit in all her wedding finery in a car with a can of Coke and pop the can? Why wouldn't you do that? I'll tell you this. Sin is a cold can of Coke on your wedding day. Sin is what comes in and totally spoils the beauty and the preparation that God has been doing in your life. Sin is the stain, the blemish, the wrinkle that Christ is determined shall not be there when we meet him on that day. So why do we risk it? Why do we risk that? 
God has spent our entire lives and from all eternity beforehand preparing us for a day when his people meet with him in glory, the wedding feast of the Lamb. Why do we get tempted to spoil all that for a moment of temporary, I don't know, why does that happen? When we worship him, we come in holy splendor, clothed with the Spirit, clothed with Jesus, clothed with compassion and salvation and righteousness and grace and humility. Let's not spoil that. Let's not spoil that. There's a little bit of this verse in 96 as well that I think we can easily misinterpret because Psalm 96 verse 8 talks about coming into his courts and I think it's really easy for us to substitute the courts of the temple for the quad and to begin to think that when we're talking about worshipping we're talking about what happens when we come into this building on a Sunday morning now How many of my children are here today? Two of my children are here today. They will testify to this. I never, ever, ever let them say when they were growing up, I never let them talk about going to church. It was one of my grumpy old dad moments if they ever said we're going to church. Because I would say, no, we're not. We're going to a meeting. We are church. This, splendid though it is, is not a substitute for the temple courts. For a start, you are sitting in comfortable seats. I'll tell you now, if, if the priests were here, the first thing they would do is rip the seats out. That would upset all of us, wouldn't it? Why would they do that? Because there were no seats in the temple. They couldn't sit down because their work was never finished. That's why when the writer to the Hebrews says that our great high priest has sat down at the right hand of the majesty, it's so astounding. Because it means his work is done, which is what he said when he died. It is finished. This is not the temple. This is not important, though this is, please hear me right. This is not church. This is a gathering of the church. Church happens every moment of every day of every one of our lives. So we've already had reference to Romans 12. Give your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your spiritual act of worship. Happens every moment of every day. Tomorrow, I'm going to be sitting in a coffee shop, hopefully. Quite unusual. (laughs) They know my name in Costa. That's how unusual it is. I'm going to be sitting in a coffee shop with a friend who's been having a rough time. And things have been a bit difficult in life. And we're just meeting every week and we're just kind of downloading, chatting through how it's going. I pray that in that time, I might have words of wisdom. I might have some understanding. There might be some grace. I can speak truth to him. That is church. That is a meeting where I come in holy array. It's part of my worship. On on Tuesday and Wednesday this week with different people, I'm going to be sitting in meetings with social services, drug workers, health professionals, teachers from school, 
And I'm going to be trying to speak for people who struggle to speak for themselves so that there is truth and justice in those meetings. For me, that is church. That's part of my spiritual act of worship. Because it doesn't happen in four walls here. This psalm actually repeatedly refers to going to the nations. It's just... The psalm is soaked with it. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among the peoples. We're not called to come into meetings, however great they are. We're called to go to the nations to demonstrate the glory of God. To declare his good works to show his love and his compassion. We come here so that we can be strengthened and equipped for the mission that God has always been on and with which we are co-missioned with him. And that is to win for Jesus a people from every tribe and tongue and nation and language. Yeah? That doesn't happen here. That happens out there. So, I've got two things I'm going to ask you to think about. If I've covered it all. Have I covered it all? Two things. The first thing is this. This week, where are you going to bring the splendor of holiness? What situation are you going to bring the splendor of holiness to? Now, I know the answer is every situation of every day, but let's be realistic. That's quite tough. Is there one thing that you have got to do this week, one situation you've got to face, one conversation you need to have, one person you're going to meet, that you could say, Lord, help me to go go into that situation clothed in the Lord Jesus Christ, clothed in holy array, conscious of your glory, so that I can, in some way, by word or deed, declare the greatness of my God. Where is that going to be for you this week? Just choose one. And the second challenge is this. How many news agents are you going to drive past? <laughs> Where are you vulnerable to temptation, to accusation from the enemy? Because if you plan for it now, you are much more likely to resist when it comes. If, if we are determined in our hearts to be beautiful for God, to be holy in all that we see and do, it's worth thinking about, I know I'm going to come under pressure in that situation. How am I going to deal with it? Because I don't want to stain this wedding dress. <laughs> yeah? I'm stretching a metaphor. But you know what I mean? Can you think about that? You'll know where you're vulnerable. I don't need to give you examples. They'll only be mine, and then you'll know where I'm vulnerable. Transference, I think they call that. And prepare for it. Okay. I'm going to pray, because I have a really really, uh, strong sense that God has got something else to do, and I'm not ready for it. So that's the unexpected. Thank you, Lord, when you answer prayers. Let's, let's pray. Our Father, 
in heaven. Holy is your name. Lord, you are beautiful to us, Lord. Everything about you is good. You are awesome in power. You are faithful. You rule with justice and righteousness. Oh, Lord. Thank you again for revelation of the glory of our God. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice on the cross that brings forgiveness to us. Thank you that you have sat down at the right hand of the Father because your work is finished. Thank you, Father, that we have become children of God, clothed in the power of the Holy Spirit, clothed in our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for the work you do in our characters to make us more like Jesus, more like our Father. Oh, Lord. Lord, help us this week in one situation or more. to truly represent you through how we live, the things we do, the words we speak, to bring you honour among the peoples. And Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We choose to be holy. We choose to live for you. Oh, Lord, give us the strength and the courage and the wisdom this week to know how to do that. And we're asking you these things because we want to honour you. You are worthy. You are worthy of our adoration and our worship. Amen. Now, Caroline, could you, could you, sorry, I've not prepared you for this at all. Would you be able to come and just, I just have a sense that uh, maybe one or two of us need to know that we are equipped to do that this week. And I've, I feel that God wants to, so this is, I'm going to invite, I'm going to invite you to come to the front if you would like this. But I feel that God wants to equip us for those things that I've mentioned. (laughs) So if you have something in mind this week and you're thinking, yeah, I want to be church in that situation. I want to have wisdom. I feel like God is saying, if you come to the front, someone will pray with you. You will be equipped to be what God has called you to be in that situation. Is that okay? Do you know where we're going? Yeah, let's do a song. God of the unexpected. Okay, let's let's just stand. If you if that's you, if you this morning have heard that and you've just identified, yeah, Lord, I need to be equipped for that. Come to the front. There'll be other people here. Um, you won't have to listen to me anymore. And we'll pray for you. We'll sing this song, and then Ray will close. Thanks for listening to this 
Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.